The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, thank you that what we've sung about you is true. Thank you that what we've sung is um, true of Christmas. Now, Lord, Christmas is when we celebrate our good, good Father coming to get us. Christmas is when we celebrate you coming to us at our worst and giving us your best. So Lord, thank you for being that good, good Father to us. We love you. We ask that you bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to reiterate something as we, as we get started today. Brother John told you about this, uh, the, the tree here and, and these families here. I just want to reiterate, this is not money going to an organization, okay? This is literally these families. We went to the schools and said, can we help? Are these families that, that aren't going to make Christmas, that need food, that need toys and all of that, and they gave them to us. So like, it's up to us to come through, okay? So this isn't like, well, this will go to Angel Tree and whatever we don't come up with, they'll come up with the rest. No, like these families are our responsibility. So again, we've got these big families. You wanna come and take a, a whole family. Uh, there's, so some of them are $300 or $250 or whatever, we'll take care of it. If you can't do that, some of these have smaller denominations on, $10, $20. Just give whatever you can and it'll go towards taking care of them. So again, please let's, uh, let's come through for them and that'll be be awesome. Okay, so Advent 2015, the, the series title is The Light Has Come, and that's been our focus. I told you last week that every time we come together on Christmas, there's a knowing the Christmas story really well. It's a double-edged sword. One, it's wonderful to have that familiarity, but the other side is we take it for granted, and so every year I always ask the Lord, would you show me something? Would you give me an angle for me personally so that I would feel the joy of this, of this event uh, new every year, and every year he comes through, and for me this year, it's been recognizing uh, the darkness that we're in, the darkness that the world is in, and the fact that the light came running right into it to pull us out, and so that's what we've been talking about, and so last week we talked about Jesus coming into the darkness of someone's life who had no hope and bringing them hope, and this week we're going to look at peace, and as we do that, I, I guess I want to start, you know, it's Christmas time, anybody I've been watching Christmas movies. Who's watching Chris, Christmas movies? Good, good for you, good for you. Um, and so, I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is. My wife's favorite Christmas movie is a, a classic, a really an intellectual movie. It's Elf. And uh, my, uh, my favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I love that movie. It's just a good movie. I don't care when you watch it. Okay, all right. All right, we're clapping for stuff. I, I, don't, care, I don't care when you watch it. It's just a good movie. You want the moon? I'll give you the moon. I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. That's just, that's just gold right there, all right? Which, by the way, we don't sound like Jimmy Stewart. It doesn't work as well, that line. But, man, that's a beautiful movie. I love that movie. But, you know, another movie I love, I would say equally as beautiful, is uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to learn from that movie. I, I, I think one of the things we learn is that Christmas is a wonderful time to reconnect with people and reconnect with your family. Last night I had a, a friend of mine send me a text message about midnight. Uh, he's in town. I, we graduated from high school in 2002. I, I don't think I've seen him since. Um, and, and so he's in town for Christmas trying to reconnect. It's a wonderful thing. But you know, 
although Christmas is supposed to be peaceful, I think the thing that that movie, Christmas Vacation, illustrates is that it's not always peaceful because people are involved. One of my favorite scenes is when Eddie shows up, Cousin Eddie shows up with his family. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I love when, uh, when, when, Art, remember Art, the, the grandfather, he bends down and looks at the little boy and he says, he says to Rocky, you got a kiss for me? And then, and then a Cousin Eddie says, you better take a rain check on that, Art. Uh, he's got a lip fungus, ain't been identified yet. And then Art's wife comes in and, and says about the little girl, she says about Peggy Sue, oh my gosh, your eyes aren't crossed anymore. And Eddie says, it's something, ain't it? She falls down a well, her eyes go cross. She gets kicked by a mule, they go back. I don't know. I I, it's fantastic. It shows us that although it's supposed to be a time of peace, oftentimes, like we don't experience that peace. And it is supposed to be about peace, right? Jesus is what? The Prince of Peace. When you look at what the angels said, what did they say there in Luke 2? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Peace, it's about peace. What is peace? Is it a lack of conflict? Right, because that seems like peace. When we're in a, a time of war, we're not at peace. But when the conflict stops, peace, right? Is that really peace? You know, growing up, uh, I, have a, I have a twin brother. We're uh, separated um, by, by nine minutes, and it, it some, sometimes that's, that feels like, like nine years. We're just, we were so different growing up, and we were like um, oil and water. No, that's not right. Uh, fire and gasoline. And so we were, like, we fought all the time. And there were times where we weren't fighting, where we weren't in conflict, but we were at peace, No, we weren't at peace. We were hiding and plotting our next attack, all right? Like, there wasn't real peace there. And so, like, for me, I think about about peace. It has to be something different. And when you look at the Greek there, the Greek word is irene. And if I said that wrong, I'm very sorry, Dean. But uh, it's irene, and it means to, it comes from iro, which means to join or tie together into a whole. So properly, it can be translated as, as wholeness. So when all essential parts are joined together. So peace is God's gift of wholeness. Everything is, it's right. It's as it should be. It's being brought back whole. So peace is not a lack of conflict, but a presence of righteousness. Things made right. When I think about my relationship with my brother, I wouldn't say in high school we had peace at all. But in college, we became really good friends. In fact, we were roommates for a time. And I think he was was my favorite roommate I I ever had. And I'm dead serious. So there wasn't, there's not only a lack of conflict, but we loved each other. There's a presence of love, right? And so we were joined together in that way. And I think that's, that's peace. So peace is not the lack of conflict simply. It's, it's also the presence of righteousness, the presence of things being made right. And we see that peace in the beginning. If you look at Genesis and you look at, at, at the Adam and Eve in the beginning, they had that perfect peace, that perfect peace. There wasn't brokenness there. We see that they, had, they experienced spiritual peace. How, what was their relationship with God like? They walked with him in the garden. They walked with him, okay? So they had spiritual peace. They had emotional peace. They, they didn't experience worry or anxiety or struggle with, with self-worth or anything like that. They had their mission. They were on it. They, they knew what they were there supposed to do. They knew they were valuable to the Lord. Like, that was it. They, they didn't experience any type of uh, conflict there. They, they experienced relational peace, Probably the only time in human history that husband and wife have ever been on the same page was right here, okay? They were relationally together. There was harmony there. But what broke it? The darkness did. As soon as sin enters the world, rebellion enters the world, that peace gets broken spiritually. What did that break? Yeah, 
They ran away from God. Instead of walking with him, they hid from him. Emotionally, they were afraid, and they were anxious, and they were worried. Relationally, well, how about the relationship? How did that work out? God shows up and says, hey, what happened? And Adam said, she did it. And what did Eve say? Uh, the serpent did it, right? Like, uh, relationally, that's not going over well. They're blame shifting. And so humanity left paradise uh, and, and entered into the broken world we know today. But we still want those things. We still want the good things of Eden, don't we? And so in the world, we settle for substitutes. So the world has its own version of joy, its own version of what love should be, and its own version of peace. But we all know that the off-brand stuff is never as good as the real stuff, right? I think about in college, there were three things I lived on. It was uh, crackers, peanut butter, and Coca-Cola, all right? Like, that was it. That ran through my body. I couldn't, I couldn't donate blood in college because it just sugar came out. Like, that was it. So I just had those three things. Well, you know, money got tight. So what do you got to do? You got to make some cuts. So my Coca-Cola brand Coke became um, Big K, Big K Coke, right? The Kroger brand. And so at the moment, like, that was fine. It did, it did the trick. That's what I drank. It, it didn't cost as much, and I was fine. But then you go home for Christmas, and mom and dad had the real stuff. Now, I've never been a drug addict, but I imagine <laughs> that when that original Coke hit my lips, I'm, I imagine there might be some similarities there. I don't know. Like, that, like all of a sudden, like, Circle K, Big K, whatever it is, that was garbage, all right? Like, I recognized, oh, this is what God intended, okay? Like, this is, this is the good stuff. And the imitation, it's never as good. And so, like, the world offers an imitation piece outside of God. It's nowhere near as good. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus shows us right here. There's my peace, and then there's an imitation peace, right? So he shows us that there's those two things. And so uh, we can embrace one or the other. And I think when we think about the world's peace, I think it's okay to describe it as peaceful because when the world defines peace, it's a lack of conflict, it's a lack of turmoil. I mean, that's peaceful. But again, is the lack of conflict the only thing that defines peace? No, it's the presence of righteousness. It's things being made right again, things being made whole again. But Jesus offers us that, real peace. It's not just the lack of conflict, it's things being made right again, the presence of righteousness. And this is the peace that the light brings. So last week we looked at a story where Jesus encountered someone who had no hope, and Jesus entered into that as the light of the world, into that darkness to bring hope. We're gonna look at uh, Jesus encountering someone who didn't have peace and bringing that peace to her life. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there might be some under your chairs. If you've if you got your smartphones, you can follow along on there, uh, whatever. Or just sit uncomfortably close to the person next to you and just look over their shoulder. What are you reading? All right, so John chapter 4. We're going to start there in verse 5. Verse 5. All right, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is tired, he's been traveling, he sits down by this well, it's about noon, okay? Hottest part of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Didn't get along for a lot of reasons. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's not getting it. She's not getting what he's talking about. So Jesus here is explaining to her this, this gift of salvation, this gift of eternal life, this gift of the Holy Spirit within her, and she thinks he's just talking about some high-quality H2O. So let's keep going, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus reveals his knowledge of her life and reveals also her, her sin, her shortcomings, and Jesus reveals this darkness. And what does she do in the face of her darkness? What any of us would do, she changes the subject. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So she changes the subject. She brings up this old religious debate um, between some Samaritans and Jews and even other people in the middle of this debate. And he brings it back to salvation and knowing God and brings it back to today is the day. God is changing things now. I'm right here in front of you. So look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's like, I don't know if she's starting to catch on or not, but then Jesus just, bam, just reveals it. I'm him. I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting on. Look at verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the disciples walk up and they are shocked that he's talking to this woman. And they don't say anything. They do that whole thing where you nudge each other. Like, you say something. No, you say something. So they're just sitting there in silence, like just shocked. What happens in verse 28? The woman left her water jar, went away into the town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So she went out and started telling people about Jesus. And God used her testimony. Skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed, this is indeed the Savior of the world. Before that woman met Jesus there at that well in Samaria, what did she have, peace-wise? She had the imitation. 
She had the world's peace. And so spiritually, her wholeness with God was broken. She needed peace with God. Her wholeness with God was broken. And we see that. We see that in her life, in the way that she lived. We see that, that she wasn't obedient in her relationships. She had five husbands, and she was now living with somebody that wasn't her husband. She wasn't trying to honor the Lord with her life. There was, that, there was a, a something broken between her and God. But she wanted that peace fixed. And we all do. We all do. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. We all want that fixed. We want that peace between us and God fixed. And she tried to find peace with God. I think she did. And how? By like trying to be good enough and being real churchy. Think about it. When Jesus uh, brings up like her sin, rather than trying to deal with that, what does she do? She talks about churchy stuff. And she talks about like a religious argument, right? So I think she's, she's trying. She's like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna try to do these certain things that look like I'll, that'll make us cool, me and God, okay? So, so she's trying with all of this, quote, goodness, right? She's still being disobedient. There's still some brokenness there, but she's like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe if I'm more churchy, maybe if, I, maybe if I'm more like that, then, then I'll be cool with God, but it didn't work. She missed him. Jesus, the salvation of the world, is in front of her and keeps bringing the attention back to him that things are changing, and she missed it. She didn't see him at all. And so until he overtly revealed himself, she's like, he's talking about salvation and she thinks he's talking about Dasani or something, right? Like she's like, I want some of that water. Come on, right? And so peace with God wasn't something she could work up. It was something that had to be given to her. And we see that, look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In other words, the light has come into our darkness because we couldn't come out of our darkness to go to the light. The light had to come to us. The light had to make peace. Peace with God was not something that we could conjure up. It's not something that we could earn. It's not something that we could fix. It was something he had to give to us. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. He has brought peace for us. He has made peace for us. So now, rest in that peace. And that's our choice, to rest in that peace or not. John 14.27, back to what Jesus said. What did he say? My peace I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not, don't let them be afraid. We can choose to embrace that peace and embrace what God has done for us or not. You know, there are times, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you love the Lord Jesus, there are times you're gonna fail and you're gonna mess up and what happens in those moments? It's what we talked about last week. What happens? Whispers start. You know the whispers. Well, you're not good enough. There's, there's no way there's peace between you and God. You've done too much. There's no way that, that you're really forgiven. There's no way you're one of his. His children don't act like that. Those whispers start. And it's in those whispers that we need to remember that the peace of God is not something that is earned or something that we've even tried to can sustain. It's something that he has to give us. It's a gift that he has given us. And so this, as we, as we look towards Christmas and as you, as you experience some of those failings, as you experience some of those, those screw-ups even, remember when those whispers start that the peace of God is not something that we've conjured up, we've sustained, not something we've made. It's something that's been gifted to us, something Jesus has done for us. 
you know, I've done something recently I've, I've never done before. There's a, the poem Paradise Lost by John Milton. Um, I've, I finally have read that masterpiece, and I highly recommend you read it. And I'll be honest, I, I took the coward's way out. I, I read the plain English version, okay? Someone took the original and made a plain English version, but there's this point in Paradise Lost after the fall where um, Adam and Eve, they are, uh, they are really, really mournful over their sin. They're upset about what's happened. And, and I want to read you this as Jesus interacts with the Father about this. They prayed sincerely. God's grace had removed all the bad emotions from their hearts. Their sad sighs told him more than any words they could have said. The Greeks have a myth about Diasilon and his wife who survived a worldwide flood like Noah. They prayed that mankind could be restored the same thing Adam and Eve were praying for now. Their invisible prayers reached heaven where the Son of God covered them with incense and brought them to his Father's throne. Father, let me show you the first results of the heavenly grace you placed on man, he said. As your priest, I bring you these sighs and prayers mixed with incense in this gold cup. These are sweeter than all the delicious fruits he could have grown in paradise before he fell. Listen to his sighs. He may not have the greatest skill in choosing the right words to pray with, so let me speak for him. I'll be his advocate. I'll place my spirit in him. I'll help him perfect his good qualities and I'll pay for his sins with my own death. Let me bring peace to mankind for the limited time he has to live. I only want to soften his punishment, not eliminate it. He must die after all, but a better life waits for him. Then everybody who is saved can live a new happy life joined with me the way I am joined with you. We are helpless without the light of the world coming to bring peace to us. You have peace with God. Now rest in it. I hope that that's life-giving to some people in here this morning. Not only did she lack spiritual peace and she needed peace with God, but she also lacked emotional peace. She needed the peace of God. This woman was covered up with shame and with worry. What time did she fill up her water jug? The noon, the heat of the day. Why? Why didn't she go earlier? Why didn't she go later? Shame. She felt shame because of her decisions and there was social stigmas that, that, that were against her, working against her and she felt shame and she felt guilt and that's what shame does. It weighs us down and we're unable to, to move, right? It chokes us out and it also tears apart our self-worth, doesn't it? The longer you sit with, with shame, what's it doing? Just chipping away at your self-worth. What a piece of garbage you are. What a, what a loser you are, just chipping away at our value, which ultimately feeds our worry. Because now that we see ourselves as not valuable, we know, we think that all we deserve are consequences. All we deserve is, is a terrible future. And we just worry and worry. And so she avoided people because of the way she viewed herself. And she had no confidence. She had no self-worth. And so she worried what she would encounter when she faced other people. And that's darkness. That is a dark way to live. There's no peace there. And the sad truth is, some of us in this room are right there. You're in that darkness. Some of us are riddled with shame, riddled with guilt. Some of us right now feel no value. You, you, you think that you are valuable to no one, especially to a perfect God. Some of you are in a real, real darkness. But the good news last week, the good news this week, the good news next week, and the good news forever is that the light has come and changed everything. Jesus broke into this woman's life and cut through her shame. The savior of the world sat down across from her 
and spoke to her and was tender to her and showed her, you are valuable. You're valuable. And you know what? The light has come to us in the same way. Are you in the darkness of shame? Do you doubt your value to God? You might say, I feel forgotten. You don't understand the circumstances I'm in. I feel forgotten by him. You don't understand the things that I've done. I am a screw up. I know people say that sometimes. I feel like a screw up. No, I am it. Every family has a black sheep. I am the blackest sheep, okay? Like it is me. I am not valuable. Romans 5, 8, listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our worst, God gave his best. At our worst, God gave his best. Does that, does that display value? Nothing else displays value more than that. At your worst, when you least deserved it, God gave you his best. He gave you his son. Don't dare say you're not valuable. Don't you dare disrespect God like that. If, if, if you were to say that's like God's saying to you, how can you say that? I've given you my best. How can you say that? I gave you my son. Don't take that for granted. You are valuable. You're incredibly valuable. At our worst, God gave us his best to demonstrate our value. I think about, um, as you guys know, and I've shared it before, when I was in college, there's some friends of mine were killed by a, uh, a drunk driver, and the drunk driver herself was just a kid, she's 21 years old. And um, one of the parents of one of my friends who was killed in that accident went to court and testified on her behalf. The girl who killed their daughter testified on her behalf to say to the court, our daughter has lost her life over this. We don't want her to lose hers either. At her worst, they gave their best. She took their daughter, and at her worst, they gave her best. Why? Because they're communicating to her, you're valuable. You are valuable. In the same way, at our worst, God gave his best. Don't for a minute, don't for a minute diminish what God has said. You are valuable. Are you in the darkness of worry and anxiety? Come out. Come out. Here's what Philippians 4 says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than, than, than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The light has brought peace to us, not anxiety. And you know what the scripture tells me? Right there in that first word, don't worry, what does that tell me? It's a choice. I have a choice I can make. I can either worry or I can not worry. I can, and how do we do it? Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. So simply put, be thankful for what you have and leave what you don't have up to him. Be thankful for what you have and leave what you don't have up to him. You know, this time of year, it's a time of, we, we get catalogs in the mail all the time. It is 2015. Why are we still getting catalogs? But it doesn't matter. Around Christmas, we get catalog after catalog after catalog, and you can't help but flip through them, and you're flipping through all this stuff. And, and you know, after you've been in a magazine for a while, your brain goes from something rational to something incredibly irrational. Like, after you've looked at enough junk, you know, when you've, you've flipped through Sky Mall magazine a thousand times because they won't let you turn your phone 
phone on because a plane will fall out of the sky if you do. And you, you flip through Sky Mall, and after the third time through it, you're like, man, I really, I really do need that cat massager. I mean, my cat is carrying a lot of tension and stress. I really need to, maybe if I have that, he won't be such a jerk. Spoiler alert, he will be cats or jerks. But, but like this time of year is when, you, is when you have that, oh, I want this, or I don't have this, and all these other things. And let me tell you what I tell our students, and it's silly and it's stupid, I know, but maybe it'll help you remember it. Um, the secret to embracing God's peace and not embracing worry is this, it's really deep, it's really spiritual. I got it from, from the original Greek. Look at the donut and not the hole, got it? Look at the donut and not the hole. Focus on what God has given you and be thankful for that. And the parts you don't have, let that be up to him. He says, we just sang it, I'm a good, good fa- he's a good, good father. He just said, I- I'm a good father. I know what you need and I'll take care of it. And if I don't, then I'm not a good father. So leave it on him. Leave it up to the good father. He is who he says he is. And he will provide. So be focused on what, you, what he's given you. Be thankful for that. And let him worry about the rest. It's on him. He's our good dad. He'll take care of it. So choose to not worry. By what? What's the scripture say? Pray about everything. As we focus on the stuff that we have, thank him for it. And when we see stuff we don't have, let him worry about it. Bring it to him. Hey God, I don't have this. I think I need it. If you think I need it, cool, hook me up, right? Bring it to him. Let him worry about it. The light has brought us peace emotionally. Lastly, she lacked relational peace. She needed peace with others. How were her relationships before? Well, I mean, her relationships in marriage, she had five husbands before, and now um, she's living with a man now that's not her husband. I, I don't know what happened with the other five. It could have been legitimate. They could have, like, all died. I don't know. Um, but... Uh, we know that right now she's not handling her current relationship correctly. She, it's, she's not loving, right? Not handling it correctly. And, and she avoided people when she drew water. She ran away from people rather than running to people, rather than embracing relationships and reconciling with people. She pushed away from them. It's not loving. Her relationships look really, really broken. And I think it's because she was so bogged down by her shame and her worry that she wasn't free to be loving towards other people. She couldn't have peace with others because she didn't have peace with herself. But the light has come. What happens after encounter with Jesus? She's free of her shame and her guilt. She just met the savior of the world. He said, look, I know your secret. And then what's he say after that? Let me give you life. You can still have life. So she's free of her guilt. She's free of her shame. She's free of her worry, just like we are in Christ. And so what does she do? She runs towards people. She runs towards them. And I'm not saying that all of her relationships were fixed right away. That's not what I'm saying. But she took the step in the right direction to be loving on her part. And again, this doesn't mean that it lacked, or all her relationships lacked conflict. What happened when the disciples showed up? They judged her immediately. Immediately in their mind, they're like, what is Jesus doing talking to this lady? Immediately, they judged her. That probably happened when she ran into the town. Like, oh, cool, she's here. Which husband are you on now? That probably happened when she came into the town. But she could be responsible. She could now be loving. She could be responsible for her side of these relationships. So as she turned towards true obedience and she let go of guilt, she let go of shame and her worry, she was free to treat others the way she should be treating them. And she could be loving. And that's all we can do. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
So now because of the light, because I have peace with God and because I have peace within myself because of what he's done for me and because I do have a good, good father, because of that, I don't have to run away from difficult people. I can love them and be patient with them. And because the light is coming to my life, I don't have to harbor a grudge or seek revenge or anything like that. I can forgive them and be loving. And love, loving others is an indicator that you are in the light. Loving others is an indicator that you have embraced the light. In 1 John 4, 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So because we've experienced that light, because we've experienced that love, we love. You've been loved, so you love. You are free to love. And our love that light love, not the, not the darkness love, not the imitation, not the Kroger brand love, but God's brand love, it's unconditional. We've been loved unconditionally, so we love unconditionally. No matter what, no matter someone's attitude, no matter their, their race, their creed, their sexual orientation, their political leanings, whether they wear pleated khakis or non-pleated khakis, whether they've harmed you or helped you, we show them love. We're patient and we're kind. And we're not envious and we don't boast and we don't insist our own way and we're not rude. We can love because the love that the light has brought to us is unconditional. And so now as people and children of the light, we extend that unconditional love. The light has brought us peace relationally. So how do we take hold of that peace? I'm gonna make it real simple. I think we do what she did. We allow this truth to change us. I think that's how we grab it. We allow this truth to change us. I love the woman's response to encountering the light. What does she do? Oh, that was neat. I gotta go home now. I got, I got my chores to do and all this other stuff. I gotta remember to tell Carl, Carl, I'm at the light of the world today. What does she do? She didn't even pick up her jug. She came there to fill it up with water and she just left it. And she's like, yeah, I'll get another one. And she runs into the town and she's, she's completely changed. Her priorities change, her attitude change. Everything is absolutely changed. She let go of that churchiness and that goodness. She was like, I'm gonna make my way to God. And she let go of that and she trusted that the light of the world would bring her peace. She was no longer immobilized by her shame and her worry. Instead, she ran into people. She ran towards others rather than running away. And so what's your response to the truth that the light has come? What's your response to the truth that Jesus has made peace for you? with God. For some of you, maybe it's surrendering your life to him today. Maybe you just need to embrace the peace that he's made for you and say, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I accept it. I, I, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I, I believe that you made the peace. I, I, I accept that gift and I'm in. I'm following you today. Maybe that's you. For some of us Christians, maybe you're my brothers and sisters and you just need to rest. You just need to rest. You need, to, you need to, to, to get rid of the whispers. Run those out. It's like, it's, it's like remember that, that quote from Martin Luther again. I know I deserve hell and death and judgment. What of it? For I have one who's made satisfaction on my behalf, Jesus Christ. You know? Like maybe you need to run the whispers away and rest because God's made peace for you. Maybe for some of you, your response to the truth that your shame is gone and, and your worry is unnecessary is you need to give up some worry. You need to forgive yourself and you need to accept what God has said about you. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe what's your response to the truth that, that you are now free to love others? Maybe there's somebody you need to love better. 
You need to say, you know what, <laughs> God, the peace has brought, been brought into my life. He has loved me in such a way that I need to love others in that same way. Maybe that's what Christmas needs to be about for you today. Maybe there's, there's, there's some relationship that needs mending, and it's up to you. And you say, well, what do you mean it's up to me? You don't know what they did. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. God has loved you unconditionally. He gave up everything. Jesus lost on purpose for you so that you could live. That's how much he loved you. So maybe this Christmas, that's what your, your life needs to be about. Extending that peace to others by making peace with somebody, by being willing to lose and being willing to love people like that. To that extent, death on the cross extent, maybe that's what you need to do. I, I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind. I can't, I can't read your brains, right? I have no idea what you're saying, what's going on. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, but I imagine he's doing something in you. So we're gonna respond. I'm gonna ask Peter and whoever, or whoever's doing the response. I, I don't know who it is. Um, Acapella group, I don't know. Yeah, Peter, there we go. I'm gonna ask Peter to come on back.